Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Today, we welcome Megan Filbert and Elise Sorensen to the podcast. Megan and Elise are both part of the No Fence team, and they're working with growers to bring livestock back to the land. They both have extensive experience in addressing barriers to grazing, both perennial and annual forages. And what we've learned about building soil health has led to even more knowledge regarding grazing livestock, which can be a critical component in the system. And that system includes not only soil benefits, but income and community opportunities as well. There's so much to cover, so let's jump right in. Well, I have to tell you that I'm the one who's excited today to welcome Megan and Elise to the podcast. As you might have noticed, we're missing Monty today. He's been busy harvesting, and so we've taken over the mic in his absence. It's great to be in the studio having this discussion with you both today. So, Elise and Megan, I just, we really want to start this conversation today with talking about what has really driven you down this path of not only uh, soil health, but I know that just uh, regenerating the land, um, bringing livestock back to the land is such a passion for you both. And so I, I hope that you'll each take a turn here and tell us a little bit of your story and what has driven you down this path. Great. Thanks, Kim. Very happy yeah. to be here. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so I'm kind of just obsessed with, with grazing and uh, getting animals, you know, back out onto the landscape. I live in central Iowa and in Iowa, just like the Corn Belt, you know, we've we've witnessed the separation of livestock and cropping systems. And we know that for soil health and improved water quality, we need to merge those, those two back together. So for the last decade, I've been working with livestock farmers. I started my career in upstate New York um, in a region where it's New York City's watershed. So there's a ton of clean water that flows down to the city that's used for drinking water but it originates in an area that where there's tons of livestock farms, specifically like small to mid-sized dairies. And so I learned a lot about how to keep clean water clean and how to manage dairies and manure properly to for water quality. And while I was doing that work, I was admiring the work of Practical Farmers of Iowa, a nonprofit in central Iowa from afar. I'm originally from Iowa and I was thinking, you know, it would be really nice to apply what I'm learning here to my home state where there are super critical water quality issues taking place. And this is back in 2015 when there's kind of this infamous lawsuit happening around water quality in Iowa. So I moved back here, started working with Practical Farmers of Iowa, and really my whole charge was like, let's get more grazing on the landscape. That eventually turned into producing a, a film called Livestock on the Land. And um, 
I've, we've seen tons of positive improvement about people um, getting more livestock integrated into perennial pastures, but specifically in grazing cover crops. Um, and for the farmers that were already doing it, helping farmers to take it to the next level and like rotate more and just manage their grazing in a better way. Um, and so as I was on this journey, specifically talking with row crop farmers about like what it would take to integrate livestock into your system, you know that it would be great for fertility and soil health, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what would it take? And farmers, I mean, the number one ex excuse, the number one answer that I heard probably literally over a thousand times was I don't have fence like there's no way I took fence out um years ago to make way for my crops and to make way for my equipment and if I do have fence it's in disrepair I'm just not there's no way I'm gonna mess with it and then and then you think about inflation and what we're dealing with now and the, the actual cost of fencing infrastructure and it's just like almost impossible it already was um and so knowing that that was like a major hurdle for so many farmers that have these lush beds of cover crops and so much forage out there that they could eat. Um, but just not seeing the livestock presence. I, I heard about virtual fencing six years ago and my mind was completely blown. And I was like, this is the answer. This is what we need. And so I've been kind of like spreading the gospel of virtual fencing technology for five, six years to groups of farmers and literally their jaws drop, just rooms full of cattlemen, like in disbelief, which I feel that, you know, um, and I finally was given the opportunity to work for no fence and work in this industry and spearhead the adoption, adoption of virtual fence that, that uh, so I, I uh, jumped at the opportunity and I transitioned away from practical farmers of Iowa and started working for no fence um, this last summer in 2022. So I'll leave it at that. That's an awesome story that, and we'll unpack all of that stuff. Elise, you want to tell us a little bit about what, what brought you to this space? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say I was a classic city slicker. In fact, I probably could have made a remake of that movie. Um, no agricultural experience at all. And what brought me to farming was actually going to Sweden. And I was trying to find a way to kind of sustain myself over there. And I was a volunteer with um, WOOF, which is Worldwide <laughs> Opportunities on Organic Farms. I ended up staying on a lot of goat farms. And I thought goats were just like the goofiest, fun, most just smiley animal on the planet. Um, and when I came back from that experience, I decided I never want to write another resume again. I just want to build my business with goats and I'm going to find a way to do this. And so I looked into a lot of different goat enterprises. I mean, the common ones would be meat, cheese, um, fiber to some extent. And there wasn't really anything that you could support yourself on some income without having like an off farm income. And so we really wanted something that both that would support both my husband and I. Uh, so we were at an organic farming conference and there was a poster board about how to uh, build a, a small winter shelter for your goats. 
And um, the presenter of that poster board told us, you, you need to get into targeted grazing. That's, that's the enterprise where there's the most potential. And we said, well, the thing is, we, we don't have any goats and we don't have any land. We don't own a truck or a trailer. We own, we own nothing to do that. And she said, oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> and so um, she convinced us <laughs> that if we just started with two goats, small truck, a small trailer, um, that we could just, we could get started and we would have a client base. And um, she was absolutely right. Our first two goats, we put them directly onto a job site. They never even came to the property that we had secured for our farm. Um, and it was just a surprising venture from there. Um, we didn't have to do a lot of advertising. It was really word of mouth. Um, we had a solid website, but um, we the after the first couple of years, um, it was really apparent that the demand was so strong that we were never going to be able to keep up with it. Um, and so what we did was we actually had to limit our service area for one. Um, but we were finding that people were waiting two to four years for our services. I, I just got to a customer last year that had been waiting for four years. And I that kind of dedication to wanting to manage land um, using goats uh, was just astounding to me. I mean, if you think about other service industries, it would be like waiting four years for a plumber. I mean, who does that? Right. Um, so it's just, it's this really amazing thing where you get to make such an impact on the land in so many different settings. We work both residentially and in public lands. So there'll be like two acres in a homeowner's backyard kind of near the city, or it'll be a public project, five to 40 acres um, on either a, like a small city park, or um, even the DNR has contracted with us. Um, so it could just be a variety of landscapes, but we're predominantly focusing on buckthorn and um, honeysuckle, exotic honeysuckle, um, and those kind of invasive plants. So it's just been like one big crazy ride. Um, and then throughout this time that we were building this enterprise, um, I just love technology and I'll pretty much implement any piece of technology on my farm as I can. Uh, one of the things that we put into the farm was microchipping because it's such an easy way to record data and just make sure that the simplest thing of like, who is on the trailer, who got off the trailer, who <laughs> did we leave anybody at the site? And um, so I've, I've really loved putting any piece of technology into this. And so when I heard about no fence, um, it, it was something, it was just a no brainer game changer for us because we, historically have spent hours, seven days a week, the whole season, 200 days long, um, putting up and tearing down fences. Uh, so it's not a lot of goat interaction, it's, it's a lot of fencing interaction. 
Um, and I'm proud to say that I can roll a portable net fence mm -hmm. in less than four minutes, but mm -hmm. I'd prefer not to. <laughs> That's um, an impressive skill. I feel like, you know, how they have like lumberjack contests, you know, they, they need to have fencing, uh, <laughs> totally contests. For... I would go to that. Yeah, I would but... definitely sign up to be a spectator. <laughs> well, and there's all this controversy over how you do it. You can roll it or you can fold it. Mm -hmm. There's double spike versus single spike. It's a, it's a big thing. So I, I mean, we may have just started a new, um, you know, activity to go to. So just put that in the back of your mind, but Farm Olympics. That's right. That's right. But it's so exciting. And when I hear both of you tell your story, the thing that I recognize so much is that you took information and experiences with you along each of your steps that really has been so valuable to bring you to the spot that you're at today, you know, and the different things that you have learned and, and that you've seen that you knew how important being able to travel down this path of solving this, this problem, when we know that we need grazing uh, on the land. And so that's exciting to see. And I'm sure that is exciting for you guys to live every day. Oh yeah, that fuels me. It's why I wake up in the morning. It just totally fuels me up. And like getting to directly address like farmers' issues and helping provide them a solution is just so incredibly exciting. That's fantastic. Well, and as we kind of dig into it, so we know that we've all talked with people who've had this conversation about, I don't have the fence, I don't, you know, but let's step back first and, and talk about why integrating livestock on the land is so critical and, and what are the benefits. And, and it's not just, you know, a soil health benefit. There are other benefits to uh, getting these livestock back and grazing the land. Do you guys want to kind of tag team on that and talk a little bit about some of those areas? Absolutely. I, there's lots of things going through my head. Where do I start? Um, I, I, so um, I guess I, I want to talk a little bit specifically about um, integrating livestock into like our really basic um, corn and bean systems in the upper Midwest. Cause that's like what I've dealt with a bunch in the, over the last several years. So we know that cover crops are super, super important um, to hold the soil in place, number one, right. And then all kinds of other benefits, roots in the ground year round, water quality, soil health, but cover crops are a financial barrier. They do cost, you know, 15 to 35 to $50 per acre. When corn prices are down, it's hard to figure out how to pay for those. So we, but we also know that when you can add value to cover crops by putting them through a ruminant, most likely cattle or sheep, that that offsets the cost. It, it adds a ton of value and essentially, you know, cattle and sheep can graze cover crops almost sometimes throughout the whole winter season and therefore offset the cost of their winter feed or their hay. And I know farmers that have saved $40,000 a winter through grazing cover crops. That's after taking out the costs of the seed and the planting of the cover crop. So, um, so 
I feel as though if we need, we know we need more cover crops on the landscape within our cropping systems all across the nation, all across the world. Um, and the way to make them pay is to graze them. And so to be able to more easily get livestock out there, farmers are going to more easily say, okay, I'm willing to plant cover crops. Mm -hmm. So that's one angle. Elise, do you want to yeah, take a stab so at it? I think my biggest angle, you know, from my background is putting livestock in places where it seemed unachievable. Just don't even think about it um, before with any sort of fencing. And then you take no fence and all of a sudden this is possible. I mean, there were certainly sites um, with my career as the with the Munch Bunch where we had to turn things down because it wasn't physically possible for us as humans. It wasn't about the goats. They, they're pretty agile little buggers and they didn't have a problem with that. But um, the to be able to just say, yes, I can do that. It's such a powerful um, thing. And when I see um, different farms around me and I, I look at the pastures that some of the animals are in and I think, wow, with no fence, you could just move those animals just over there. And um, with just the push of a button, it's it's such um, an amazing revolutionary technology. Your brain starts to think in a totally new way when you use this system. It's like all these things where if this, then this, I can do this now. Mm -hmm. And it, it just unfolds. The more and more you use it, you realize what is possible. It's, it's inc incredibly empowering. And I just want all farmers to feel that. So I'm, that's really why I'm jazzed about getting started with no fence as well. For sure. We're taking a short break to share that the Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now back to our show. Can I match them on more thing? Yes, please. So I also like... Through my work with farmers, I've really come to understand kind of the social implications of, of why livestock are so important, especially to like our rural communities. You know, when, when we started getting rid of livestock, let's say in the 80s with the farm crisis and just kind of transitioning only to crops, then you don't have to be on the farm as much, you know, like you can then go into town and get a job because there's not something that necessarily needs tending to every day mm -hmm. and like there's less chores for kids. And so like families, then they moved to urban centers and we've kind of, especially in the Midwest, we've seen this like loss of small towns. And I, I think it's really because we've lost, we've lost livestock, especially um, livestock that are raised more in this like mimicking nature, outdoor based way, not necessarily like you know, under roofs and confinement, because again, livestock raised in that way, you don't need much labor for it, but livestock require labor and they require, um, just a presence, uh, you know, a, a presence there. 
Um, and so I think the more that we can make it easier for farmers, easier and exciting for farmers to reintegrate livestock on our landscape, uh, we know all the environmental benefits, but these like, it will help the social fabric, you know, of our communities. And that's really like, ultimately what drives me in. Yes. And, and I think that's so important. I live in a small town, 3,700 people. And right now we're having a, a bit of a revitalization um, because someone has seen how important it is to, to make some of that happen. And so, and it's a whole lot of someone's not just one, but um, sure. it, it is critical and it's critical for our school systems and everything to take advantage of that. But I'd love for you to talk for a minute about you know, we've talked about the, that benefit, but what do your farmers and growers say once you've been there, say that first time, or they've experienced the livestock and because I know what the soil looks like after livestock have grazed on it and what that soil system, I'm just shocked at how quickly it is regenerating itself. And so could you talk a little bit about what, what you've heard or what people, their aha moments, have you, have you experienced that with some of your farmers? Definitely. Um, I think that, I think that when you have livestock out grazing in your pastures, not only is it like bucolic and aesthetically like nice to see, you know, cars slow down and want to want to take a picture or two I, I so I just think that there's maybe this sense of like tending to more life on the farm um and and once you know once you implement once you get past the hurdles of like getting the livestock on the farm or working with your neighbor to bring their cows over or whatever that looks like you kind of quickly realize like okay this is manageable and look at, look at what they've just gleaned for me, or, you know, you know, hopefully you're, you'll start to see, um, the color of your soil start to change. I know soil health, um, changes take a long time, you know, it's more of a long-term effect, Mm -hmm. but, um, some things you start to see right away is, you know, if you are integrating more forages for for animals to graze, then you're, you have more roots in the ground year round. And therefore, when we get a major rain event, you're not having gullies, essentially, essentially, you know, you're like managing the water better. And that's something that you see like pretty much right away um, is like field fitness. Uh, your, your field just, it, it can, uh, it can take um, extreme weather events better. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's all part of this, like, perennial plus grazing solution. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's exciting. And you're kind of, um, you're really bringing in a lot of parties to play and there's a lot of different avenues that they can go. And Elise, I know you talked about how you've done work with different groups, not just on farm ground, but on different ground. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those other areas and what are some of the, like, what are some of the differences, the before and after of, of when you've been able to graze those areas and what did they look like? Yeah. Um, so the, the system is a slower, I mean, you're not going to see any 
lots of changes within the first year. But the customers who have been with us for three or four years, um, we see them monitor the ch the changes, and um, it's it's just amazing to watch it open up. I mean, one of the first things that happens is you remove one invasive species, but you're probably going to get a new one that then has to be dealt with um, because once you have bar ugh, once you have buckthorn, then garlic mustard will follow. Mm -hmm. um, but you you can keep working at it until the point where um, you say okay, there's a lot of native forbs here and there's no buckthorn left, no garlic mustard left. I think we're done here. And this is all open. The kids can run around. Um, and the homeowner is excited because the, they've done something that, you know, they've had a good stewardship relationship with their property. Um, so I think that you know, we've seen so much, but also it's it's inspiring small homesteaders to also manage their properties. They want like to a few livestock on the land, but they're really unsure about fencing because the barrier to understanding what kind of fencing that you need and mm -hmm. how to make sure it's properly working with the livestock, um, it can be quite intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, so I think no fence can really open it up for those small homesteaders. And then they can work on some of the invasive plants that they know about. But if you're a small homestead and you're focusing on vegetable production, uh, you're not gonna have a lot of time to, to manage some of the invasive plants on your property um, with mechanical means. It's, it's very daunting. So, but yeah, we see a lot of changes, just targeted grazing, but also just having livestock on the property. Mm -hmm. Well, before we uh, started the conversation here earlier, we were talking about some of those barriers to grazing and, and we've talked about some of them, but are there more uh, barriers that we can help uh, growers overcome as we move down this path to not just targeted grazing, but just like even like a mob grazing situation, I guess that is targeted, but you know, um, what, what kind of barriers have you seen that you've been able to overcome? Well, so I mean, the obvious first barrier is fence, right? Which is what we've been talking about. But I would say like the second barrier to adopting um, more rotations and like what we call regenerative grazing, adaptive, holistic grazing, you know, many different names for it is labor, right? Like so many farmers know that that's what they should be doing and that's what they want to do. They would love to move their animals twice a day if they could, but they, they can't because maybe they have an off-farm job or just, they, they actually just physically can't make it there to, to move them. So now with virtual fence technology, you could move your animals every 10 minutes if you wanted to. Um, let them take a bite and keep them going. So that, I just think the labor piece is massive. Yeah. And I mean, I'm doing a whole research project on studying the labor between portable net fencing and no fence. And my final results aren't really out yet, so I can't really share them, but I can tell you just anecdotally that I've been able to have three days or more off like where I wasn't having to visit a job site. And I talked about how I was a seven day mm -hmm. uh, schedule before. Um, and additionally, it, it takes about two hours maybe to set up a particular site um, with 
I won't name how many acres. I mean, it's probably, you know, an acre or two. Um, but now with no fence, it's about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. The The feeling of opening the trailer doors and letting the animals out and saying, okay, they're understanding their boundaries. I'm going to go. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it really is. <laughs> I will say one other thing, you know, especially, especially with farmers who like maybe grew up with livestock, but they just knew they could never get away and take vacations because they had livestock or they had had to find a farm sitter. And that's why they love cropping because they can go away twice a year, whatever it is. So again, it's the labor barrier, but it's like the having to be always present and available. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that no fence should replace like setting your eyes on your animals, but we just know that it's not realistic all of the time. And so because all of the callers have their GPS, you can open your app at any time and look at where every single one of your animals is. And then you're always getting notifications if they're getting pulses or if there's an escape. Yeah. So every night when your head hits the pillow to, before you go to bed, you can check your app and say, my animals are in and sleep better, you know? And even if your animals get out, you're notified of it. And if they all escape you, they're GPS. So you can right. go get them. Right. So like just that quality of life and that comes with peace of mind, how do we quantify it? I don't know, but it's huge. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I should jump in with stories about, <laughs> these goats running around it's various cities there was one time when our goats got spooked by the fireworks that were going off near the city bank the <laughs> the water and um basically the goats were running around with the people watching the fireworks at night and they that was just great fun for the firework goers um but not so fun for the police to round them up um, and so there's been all sorts of these crazy things that have happened to us where if you get a phone call, your your heart is going. Where are my goats? Who's loose? And how fast am I going to have to get there? And with no fence, one of these things that happened was just like, okay, wait a second. If the goats get loose, it's not great, but I know exactly where they are and if I have the opportunity, I can rezone them in an area. So yeah. I can, I can, I can just take them and keep them in an area where I know that they're safe. Once they're rezoned, they're unlikely to run away again. So whatever caused that situation. So it's just this massive feeling of um, being comfortable with what's going on with the herd. You also know how many are there. Are they healthy? are they alive? I mean, it sounds silly, but like you would, you would know, you would be notified. Mm -hmm. um, and so you don't have to count the goats because they already have collars. Um, so one of my favorite things that I did this summer was I was um, in Chicago after visiting you, Kim, and uh, I'm in downtown Chicago. And I was like, oh, I should really move the goats. So I opened up the app and I just added an area and just moved them. I just... <laughs> It was like, I cannot believe that I am moving my fencing from downtown Chicago and all these city people walking around me. They have no idea that I've just done something amazing agriculturally. 
Yeah. You needed it's... to do a TikTok right then and there. Yeah, exactly. Someone videoing you in downtown <laughs> Chicago moving your goats. That's, yeah. that's Oof, a, that was hard. Put that on your social media idea for uh, later. <laughs> Our colleagues in Norway have mentioned things like, you know, now they can easily go to the farmers they work with can easily go to a wedding and say yes to like my whole family can go to the wedding this weekend or to the soccer games, you know, just like farmers can now join in on all of the activities without as much being occupied, preoccupied about what if this happens. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and that kind of leads us into, you know, really the whole tech side of, of how this works. So I'll let you guys talk a little bit about that. But when I think about Elise, when you said you could just rezone, I mean, what kind of comfort level does that give you? I mean, it's a little bit of a superpower, isn't it? Like that you can, you, you, you put your little invisibility cloak around your goats and, you know, away you go to, you know, to get to them, but talk a little bit about uh, what the tech, um, you know, that tech side and, and, both the user experience and the animals experience. Tell us a little bit about that. Go I, for it, Elise. From from the tech side, um, yeah, I am an early adopter techie, so you probably shouldn't take anything. <laughs> she, that's a techie. She knows what she's doing. But um, honestly, I thought that I was going to have to be trained. I thought I was going to have to sit down um, and take like a bunch of webinars on how to do it. And I had mentally prepared for kind of a intense process of understanding the system. And when the callers came, I had already kind of played with the app. Um, but it was like, I could almost put the collar on the animals and, um, just start going because, um, it is so intuitive. The app is so intuitive and, um, it really is kind of plug and play. Um, I actually used to work at Ikea and they make these, you know, these manuals that are, they have all the little figures that are super hard to understand. Right. But you, you actually know when the product is so easy to put together, they actually don't even include assembly instructions. And if it were no fence, that would be this, like they almost, almost don't need that IKEA manual. Um, It's very important to read the manual and to understand how the animals will interact with the system and obviously just know, knowing what the system does. But as far as navigation of the system, um, it's, it's so incredibly easy. I feel confident that even the farmers with the flip phones could figure it out. Yeah. And I I will say that I am not a techie. Like I, you know, I studied animal science for a reason because I'm just like such a hands-on person and want to be in nature all of the time. Like don't want my cell phone with me. And like, I have found this app so incredibly easy to use and and enjoyable. Like I have fun doing it. You know, I look forward to opening the app and, and creating a new paddock and moving, moving the animals. Um, I also think it's fun to mention that, so a little bit about the training process with from the animal side is that animals are trained to the technology in like three to five days. And we say wait one to two weeks 
before you're fully letting them have a virtual barrier. So to train them initially, you um, like train them in a pasture that they're used to, like home pasture close to the house where you can have your eyes on them and you create a regular paddock with physical fencing. And so one of those sides of the physical fence you bring in with the virtual. So they're essentially contained by one virtual side and three physical. Mm -hmm. And that's how you start. And then it could be two virtual, two physical. And, and really I, we just trained our goats here. It, it literally took about five days. I, it takes longer for the farmer to learn all, you know, again, the app is easy, but it still takes farmers longer to like understand the system than it does the the livestock themselves. Mm -hmm. And I've been asked the question, like, does every, can every animal learn it? And there are 50,000 callers on animals in Europe, in Norway, in the UK and in Spain right now. And every single animal has been able to learn but one. And they found out that that was a deaf cow. So deaf animals cannot use the system. Interesting. And they didn't know that animal was deaf before. Yeah. Yeah. Know that until you, yeah. You realize that, that they're not responding and something is up. Yeah. Fascinating. That, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and the, just the sheer quantity of, of animals that you've been working with. Um, it, I just think it's just remarkable. And I also think it just kind of goes to show that, you know, livestock are, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed is that they kind of love it when they're like, Oh, we're getting new pasture, you know? So they're, they're excited about the moves and the area. It's almost like they know that, Hey, I'm not going to have to be here long. I don't know if they know that or not. It just seems like they, they are ready to do those moves and things that you want them to do. Is that, is that what you guys see? What they know is that sometimes they reach for that juicy blade of grass and they get an audio cue, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what they're trained to. And then that means no. But sometimes when you've moved, when the farmer has moved the paddock, they reach for that blade of grass and nothing happens, no repercussions, no negative repercussions. And so it's safe. Yes. So, and I guess I should just say for the listeners, we haven't really clarified this. So essentially animals each wear a collar. Every adult animal in the herd is recommended to wear a collar. That collar looks like a cowbell. Um, And so on either side of that, like hard plastic unit that is cowbell shaped is a solar panel that's continually charging a battery that's inserted inside the collar. Um, And it hangs by a metal chain around the animal's neck. And so when you set the virtual boundary from your smartphone, and when an animal approaches that boundary, it starts to get audible cues. It sounds like beep, 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 beep. And then upon that, that highest pitch beep is what triggers the collar to send an electrical shock through the chain. Mm-hmm. And that's how they learn. Yes. Yes. And so when animals are first trained, it's like, a bunch of audible cue, you know, sounds followed by pulses, right? They're learning the system, they're learning cause and effect. Um, but then you quickly start seeing, oh, there's audible beeps, but no pulse. They're turning around at the sound of that beep and you know, okay, they're becoming more trained. And so it's just, it's like pretty amazing to see data up 
you know, graphs and figures showing like so many shocks at the beginning and it just drops off dramatically. Yeah. And I think no offense says it's the average is um, 20 audible cues to one pulse on average for all of no offense animals. So they're quick to respond and, and not really getting that shock or, you know, yep. feel. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's exciting. And yeah. on a little side note, um, did someone tell me that the audible is actually a nursery rhyme tune in <laughs> Norway? <laughs> did I hear that? Only, only the, the noise to locate the collar. That's, it's a cute little melody. It's uh, adorable. Sometimes I play it just to put me to sleep at night. So, yeah. so yeah. So to clarify, if a, like, if a collar were to fall off, that doesn't happen often, but if it were to fall off and be laying in some tall grass and, and you couldn't find it, there's a, you can press a button on the app that says locate collar. And so it, it's, it, it gives a different noise and it's a Norwegian children's nursery rhyme. Awesome. Um, Beloved children's a beloved yes we've learned that is a beloved nursery rhyme in norway i asked if it was learned norwegian national anthem but um (laughs) it should be um so yeah that's that's fantastic because i mean it's it's uh it's why i have a tile on my keys and in my billfold and uh because they wind up in the strangest places um (laughs) But, and, and you hope that doesn't happen often. And I know that you guys know that it, that's a kind of a rare occasion, but you've, you've addressed it. So, yeah. and, and that's, that's exciting. And so from the user experience to the cow, um, the calf or the, the goat or the sheep, um, they really, it's really a short learning curve and, um, but opens up huge potential then for, uh, farmers to start adopting this. And, and I think that's, what's exciting is that before this situation, I get it, the unrolling of fence, uh, it, and, and having to just even, you know, as you follow through regenerative ag, uh, stuff, you know, if you're on Facebook, you're in a group and, you know, everyone's like, what, what fencing do I need? And, you know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. just this whole litany of things like what's the list of equipment I've got to have and so this just like addresses so many things um that it eliminates uh the need for um that it's that's super exciting think about not having to like pound posts in when it's like really dry or the ground's frozen you know I know farmers that get really creative with like bringing their drill out and drilling holes and then pounding the post. No, no more of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sort of thankful that no fence wasn't around when I was in high school because in the summer, those were my gigs. Yeah. So, uh, like setting fence posts and, uh, you know, safety third using the loader bucket to push (laughs) the steel posts into the ground. So thank you for saving lives and (laughs) yes, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that, that, um, that I think are just sort of the unintended benefits of it. So, um, I love all those directions that you talked about and you, you did talk about, you know, so we're starting to see, uh, see you guys at events and, um, we're seeing a little bit of a U.S. presence. Can you talk a little bit about what, uh, no offense 
uh, has plans for for the U.S. Yeah, I sure can. Um, so, okay, so we aim to start commercial sales in the United States in mid-2023, so next summer. We currently are initiating about 75 pilot projects across the nation, and that's on cattle, sheep, and goat farms. Um, and so those are going to run some, some folks are going to get started now because they're going to use them for their winter grazing scenarios. Mm -hmm. Um, some folks are going to wait to get started in the spring, but essentially those pilot projects will run a full grazing season, um, before, you know, and, and then at that same time, commercial sales will open up. So, um, we're, we're getting really close. Um, that's less than a year away and it just, it's actually real now. You know, we've been waiting a really long time for this. Yes. I know so many farmers have been waiting a really long time for this. Um, in December, we, well, it's a virtual conference. It's a part of the perennial farm gathering. It's put on by the Savannah Institute, which is out of Wisconsin. So we'll be exhibiting and speaking there. Um, and then with this, and then it really like conference season kicks off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then we're going to kind of be all over the place, mostly still in the Midwest. Cause that's where we're located. Mm -hmm. Um, and because we're not open for commercial sales yet, we don't have to go crazy because, you know, it's hard to tell people like, please, please continue to wait, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so we're going to do a selection of Midwestern conferences over the winter and then farm shows in the summer, but then like in 2023, 2024, we're, we'll also have more staff around the U S that's, we're going to be pretty much all the places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so exciting. And, and I think it'll be neat for people to actually see you and talk to you guys at conferences and actually look at the callers. Exactly. Fortunate to be able to mess with them and, and uh, may or may not have had one hanging around my neck. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, once you see it, uh, you really get a, a, a vision of what this can look like. And it's so exciting. And and so that's that's just neat. And I'm glad you guys will be able to to do that. And, and I think we've come through a, a long season of knowing that we have to wait for some of these things, especially especially when they're like, tech-based, right? Yeah. So we, we totally get that. So um, I can appreciate that very much. And, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't want to forget to talk about it as you were talking about that you're Midwest focused, but uh, talk just for a minute about, you know, we've talked about some of your different clients, but talk about in the Western States, what you guys are doing and, and where you see those callers really fitting in. Yeah, we've gotten um, quite a few inquiries and requests from folks out West that are using livestock for wildfire suppression, right? Like that's absolutely critical right now. Um, and we know that especially like custom grazing goat operations are popping up to specifically address that need. Um, and, you know, they're dealing with everything like Elise mentioned with, with the fencing woes and the other pieces, you know, we, we've talked to folks in New Mexico who had cattle out on like forest service land and all of the fence burned up in the fire mm -hmm. in, in, in all these massive wildfires. So like just thinking about it's, it's, 
implications and use um, to help us, you know, suppress wildfires or be proactive about wildfire management is really, really exciting it and is. important. It, it really is. And I think as we look at all these different things that we've talked about, that we've we've talked about how, you know, the soil health benefits of being able to graze um, and, you know, the community benefits and then all of these extraneous benefits like being able to graze in areas for fire suppression and things like that. Uh, when you look at all that across the board, it just, it, it clicks, checks off a lot of things on the list, doesn't it? And making it easier um, for adoption is really the key. And it kind of goes back to what we talk a lot about on Ag Emerge is like understanding the technology that will be necessary uh, to adopt these things. And that's kind of what we know is, is uh, important as, as we move along and being able to use technology to our benefit. So it's so exciting. Well, you know, we always hey. have to, oh, go ahead, Megan. Kim, I have one question for Elise. Um, I'm just curious her experience with this. So like on our very first day where we took up all of, after the goats were trained and we took up all of the fence and they were just had the collars in the field. Sure enough, here comes a truck pulling in the driveway. Your goats are out. So Elise, tell me like, how often does that happen to you? How do you address that? Like the goats are out. They're not within fence. I have an entire written protocol on what we do. Okay. <laughs> like, is... like hanging in the pasture or something or. <laughs> well, no, but <laughs> what we do is if it's a singular goat, we'll obviously try to work with that particular goat. But I would say in the case where they're all loose, we're basically trying to form a human net around them and trying to push them to where we want them to be. Um, and oh, really quick, let me interject. I okay. I meant like our goats weren't out. They were just had, they were just virtually fenced in. Right. Oh. And so the farmer thought they were out thought because they he didn't out. see fence. <laughs> oh, that so moment that, where yeah. like, wait a second, this is totally normal to me that my goats are not fenced right now, but other people don't have any understanding that this is a technology exactly. at all. Yeah. But like our UPS driver would show up and be like, uh, there's goats out there. Should they be out there? Yeah, actually they should. And then I have to go into this whole total monologue about, um, virtual fencing, but then after people hear about it, they're so excited. So what we've done in public sites is we've actually put up these signs that say okay. there are goats in front of you <laughs> and they're not contained by a physical fence. And I actually put in a little blurb about not feeding the goats and how I did it was I said, like, you don't know if these goats might have a nut allergy. <laughs> you never know these days. You never know if they have a nut allergy. Yeah. Just to get them thinking about like, oh, maybe I don't know enough about these animals to be able to comfortably feed them. Um, and that sign works great for us so far. Um, been cool. So it's yeah, that's just, have. it's just like another piece that like our, these livestock owners have to consider, you know, of, of how the public will see it. Right. Which, yeah. you know, they've already had the public talking about them anyway, if they're doing regenerative ag stuff, cause they've got crazy cover crops and things going on anyway. So why that's not true. more, why, why not one more crazy thing? Exactly. 
So, but it's an exciting thing. And so um, that's, that's what I love. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about today that you guys want to discuss or? I, I would just, I'm willing to, you know, share our contact information. Like we can both be reached at our, our first name at nofence.no. So mine's um, Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N at nofence.no. And anyone can reach out who's interested. Annalise, you could share yours. Yeah. So it's A-L-L-Y-S-S-E at nofence.no. Awesome. And we'll put all that stuff in the podcast notes. And also uh, we'll put uh, some of the links to where you guys know you're going to be at events Perfect. with that in the notes too, so that if people are near you, they can come and see it in person, but um, it's an exciting time and it's fun to see livestock back on the land and, you know, I'll never forget one of our very early podcast recordings we did with Tom Cotter up in Minnesota, and he, he called us during the podcast from his cover crop field where he had cows grazing and he was sitting out there and he, he just had a chair and he's like, I just, I just love being out here because there's just life happening out here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was almost so loud <laughs> from all of the critters um, that you you could hear all of that in the background of the podcast. It was fantastic. But I think that that's one of the things that that these types of technology enable is that you're you're not just bringing livestock back to the land, but you're bringing all of the other beneficial um, insects and things, uh, birds, and all of these different system pieces that that get back into play because we're not a monoculture anymore Mm -hmm, exactly and eventually people back to the land yes exactly and so important um to watch as that happens and and it just gives us an opportunity to let everybody kind of be involved in that in the growing and of their food right so exactly it's exciting so Hey, Kim, I should also just put a plug in for anyone that's interested. They can go to nofence.no, our website, and there's a button right there on the homepage that says register your interest. Excellent. That would be the first step. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a confirmation me. email, but just because of the demand, like don't expect a personal reach out right away. We're, we'll get to everybody and we absolutely receive those, um, but just like a heads up. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get it. We promise. It's only us right now in the U.S., so we're we're trying. That's awesome. That's yep. awesome. Well, we're excited um, about the work that you're doing, and and I'm excited about the opportunities that this opens up. And um, you guys also have information and resources on your uh, nofence.no uh, website as to yep. you know integrating livestock into the. Um, onto your land and, and some of the different opportunities that are available there. So thank you both for taking time to visit us today. And um, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing where everything goes and, and watching what happens next summer. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, Kim. Take care. 
Well, I sure hope you've gained some insight and excitement about the opportunities ahead of us as bringing livestock back to the land is becoming a reality. Oh, and don't forget, we're celebrating our 100th episode, taking a deep dive with Gabe Brown that will be airing on January 3rd. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement soil health, check out our website at asn.farm and there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.